0: Welcome back to now for the podcast, the sex education podcast that's more sex than education. My name is Jobim.
1: And I am Trisha.
0: This week, we're talking about gender roles and the Filipino family. In part one, we discussed more traditional families and about our moms. Kind of heartwarming, surprisingly heartwarming. Was not expecting that. This is part two of Sinon Tataimo, gender roles in the Filipino family, where we'll talk about the reason your mom drinks, probably your dad. We'll also talk about non-traditional family units and why they're important.
1: This podcast deals with themes, languages, and situations that may not be suitable for young audiences. If you're under the age of 18, parental guidance isn't going to help you here.
0: So what comes to mind when you think of your dad?
1: White. Just kidding. Uh
0: It's like you've got the same I mean, chip on your shoulder that Bob Marley had for having, like, a white dad. <laughs> like, he spent the rest of his life being like, I'm so black. I'm so black, you guys.
1: I definitely I mean, insist on my filipino to when I'm in any, yeah. any other country. And you best believe if I ever go to the United States, unless my safety depends on it, I'm just going to be like, I'm Filipino. Do not mistake me for, uh, for the Caucasians. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Until you see some mega hat wearing white dudes and you're like, "What's up fellow Caucasians?"
1: <laughs> see, the reason why I described my dad as white because that literally happened to him. So he was born in the Philippines. He, he's actually half Filipino. Uh, born in the Philippines, first language was not English. It was a Filipino language. He went to the states in college, so this was around mm-hmm. like the mid-60s. And he got invited to the KKK.
0: <laughs> Your dad he got, got invited to the KKK?
1: He got invited to the KKK and he had to like just politely decline.
0: <laughs> okay. Not just what was, what was their criteria for hiring at that time? You look vaguely Caucasian.
1: Yeah. Like they were just looking for people who were super white like just so white that they look like they could potentially be
0: uh, a sympathizer? (laughs) I guess, I mean, like, it's not, it's not far. uh, It's not, it's not far-fetched to think that the KKK would uh, recruit based on looks also. You know, so much of their beliefs are already based on that anyway.
1: Exactly. It's a, a lot of them are very surface level about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And like, wasn't,
1: there, wasn't there an entire movie about how a black guy pretended to be part of the KKK?
0: <laughs> yes, there was. Black Klansman, I think. Yeah. Our producer says something cool. Imagine if he joined the KKK and destroyed it from within. <laughs> you fools! I'm Filipino! <laughs> <laughs> That's the movie we want. We don't want to watch Black Klansman. We want to watch Black...
1: I mean, it's extra funny because people, yeah, so that's why I described my dad as white, but like, he's also very progressive. Um, His Mm -hmm. time in the States in the middle of the sixties was eye opening to him. He was very, you know, um, pro LGBTQ, even in the sixties, he was already very anti-establishment. He taught me how to question authority. Uh, This was all from his time there. So I would say like my dad was like, I guess just white a very white guy.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, I, uh, let's see if we can fit um, your dad into one of the four Filipino archetypes as listed by Alentan Tan in 1994. Okay, let's see All if right. we, can, we can put your dad in one of these holes. The number one is the dilettante. His, he treats his child very much like a pet, and this is my dad. He enjoys the company of his child, but at his own convenience. If things get stressful, he can always withdraw from the scene. Fuck right off. Suffering from a sense of alienation and at the same time feel a high need for affiliation, the dilettante's father's sense of alienation limits his involvement in parenting, while his need for affiliation is what propels him to want to be liked by his children. And it is is this desire to be liked by your kids, uh, but at the same time not wanting to open up to your kids that creates a very surface level relationship. Of joy. Uh, and he seeks the love of his children, but is also unable to immerse himself fully into the world of parenthood. He's still very much his own person, his own individual. And being a father is just like one of the things he does, right?
1: On the side.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, on the side. It's kind of like
1: his having pet off hours. Yeah. yeah.
0: You only mind your pet when you come home. And even then, when your pet's like sick or dying, otherwise they're just like there. Uh, two, determinative. Okay, so we had dilettante and now we have determinative. Uh, His child represents a project. From pet, we move on to project. Uh, High on the need to achieve, the child in fact may represent an opportunity for vicarious achievement or perhaps a chance to rectify some personal failure. Uh, These are usually like stage dads, uh, dads of athletes, Oh, God, athlete dads. Athlete dads are the worst.
1: Also, I think maybe dads in certain industries like law, medicine, who want their children to follow in their footsteps and continue their legacy.
0: Lawyer dads are annoying. Lawyer dads who are like, all of his sons have to be, look, those, anyway. Just, I know a few. His determinative streak also reflects a desire to retain control over most aspects of his life and by extension, the direction of his children's lives. I'll tell you this, the children of determinative fathers, I've noticed, do achieve in life, but they hate their dads. They fucking hate their dads, dude. They have everything, but no. they never feel like, they also never feel like they earned anything on their own. And so there's a very strong sense of resentment because everything, all their achievements have come from, from Papa.
1: I'm sure that this particular type of dad uh, cuts across social classes, but I think it's especially prevalent in the upper class. You know, like I know some um, relatively rich people who their dads, the patriarchs, have very specific rules
0: Mm -hmm.
1: about how their children should live if they want to get their inheritance.
0: (laughs) It's sort of like because I have been so successful in my life I know better, they have, the, they have that in their back pocket to be like, yeah, you should listen to me. Of course you should listen to me. Look at how freaking rich I am. Look at your lifestyle, dude, yeah. There's only one path to
1: success and it is this one. Yeah,
0: and it is this one, it's tried and true. Uh, a third is procreator. This man, uh, his role as a father is that of a provider, okay? So most fathers certainly see the role of provider as a major one, but to the procreator, it can often be, seen, be the only one that he sees right? He is the income, he is the food, he is the money, he is the roof. Having sired a child, he has, intense, uh, he has interest in seeing the child mature and continue the genetic linkage through future generations. Depending on, this, uh, depending on his means and generosity, this can mean anything from the bare essentials to get education.
1: So this kind of dad is basically the person who's like, my role is to make sure you become a proper human being. My role <laughs>
0: is to see, oversee your growth.
1: Your growth. Or you're, maybe not necessarily growth because I can see how this could be.
0: Your needs, there you go, that yeah, your, yeah, your, your needs are met. Okay, so um, I think the difference between this one and the, the first one, the dilettante, doesn't really focus on needs more of wants. And the determinative parent doesn't really focus on what the child needs, but what they think the child needs. Yeah, okay. And the procreator truly focuses on what the child needs. From the bare essentials to a good education. And the last but not least is generative. To the generative father, a child is mainly a charge. There is a basic respect for the child as an individual, a hallmark of trust, autonomy, initiative, industry, identity, and intimacy. Basic trust is a crucial component in the formation of a generative father. He must be able to trust the wisdom of nature and natural processes the wisdom of the child the child is seen first and foremost as a responsibility to nurture and care for in terms of what is best for the child so just just looking at it at a glance i'm starting to think that generative is the best kind of dad
1: yeah i think (laughs) that maybe an argument can be made for a provider being like a sort of neutrally bare minimum type uh, i'm sorry a procreator type of dad is like the kind of bare minimum but generative is the kind of dad you'd want to aspire to be
0: Yes, yes. But it's hard. Again, uh, it, it seems easy to let you know your kid take the reins, but you've also seen this approach to child rearing go the opposite way. It's so easy to let your kid go off the rails, right? And you end up turning into one of the other kinds of parents because you're trying to overcorrect. So it's it's a it's a difficult balance to strike. So Trisha, to answer our episode's question, <laughs>
1: I would say that my dad was probably more generative. I mean, obviously, depending on the day and sometimes time period, you're not a single kind of dad, right? (laughs) There were times when he was determinative or tried to be at least. But I think overall as a whole, 95% of the time, he was a very supportive dad. Kind of like tried to build up my self-confidence. like, Mm -hmm. And you know how in The Witcher 3, you can have a bad dad Gerald ending? because Mm -hmm. you try to control your child's life too much. Right. I think my dad tried to have a good dad Gerald ending where he raised me in such a way that I could survive on my own and not have to depend on him to make my decisions. So, yeah, I guess my dad isn't white. He's just a generative Filipino father.
0: (laughs) I think my dad is like 90% dilettante and maybe 10% procreator. We knew there was no other way We knew It happened, I thought my emotions would dampen, but I still don't know where it all went. you'd be gone i wouldn't have held on maybe this would be easier but oh, oh,
1: oh, oh,
0: oh. that was how can i forget by aaron lee after the release of her debut ep paper flowers singer-songwriter aaron lee has never let her style of vocal harmony and instrumentation keep her within the confines of a single genre Using her creativity and versatility as a self-taught producer to branch out into the OPM scene even further. She is one of the faces that make up two of her other side projects, namely acoustic duo C Jan Aaron and Lily Stars Records' indie folk duo Lily on the River. You can stream her music now on Spotify. If you're an artist who wants to be featured on the show, we'd be honored. Send your clips to now open Ph at gmail.com. Dot <laughs> com. <Yeah. laughs>
1: you got the PH in there this time, Joe.
0: Yeah. I got the pH. That's, that's why I got distracted with the cam. <laughs> All right. Uh, for today's uh, before we before we move on to the the next half of today's episode, let's kick it up with uh, opening up. For today's opening up, we have an anonymous letter. And anonymous writes: I am the kind of person who is perceived by most people who is strong, or that or that one who would rather be independent in life. However, when I am in some kind of relationship. I find it hard to balance my reputation per se and handling the relationship because damn it, made me become a real softy at the same time I want to stick with the knowledge of who I am. I think it is a pride thing. Is that a bad thing? Unfortunately, as a result, none of the relationships lasted or even made official. Okay, I think this is interesting because it's 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 a growing pain that a lot of people experience, um, especially if you're the kind of person who has spent so much of your time trying to become an independent individual. If you spent a lot of time trying to get out of your parents' house, uh, trying to provide for yourself, if you didn't have an easy time with money growing up, you might see yourself, or, or you might find take comfort in seeing yourself image as somebody who is independent, somebody who doesn't need anybody, and there, there's nothing wrong with that until it comes to opening up in a relationship. Right? Because so many of these walls that you have put up to make yourself strong and to make yourself successful and to make yourself into the person that you are happy with now gets in the way of a relationship because the walls you have built are for a castle for one. And now you need to you need to expand it to, to fit another person. Um, and you, you're saying you're hard, finding it hard to balance your reputation And handling the relationship, which tells me that you're finding it hard to give up the image of yourself that other people have. Not because you're finding it difficult to give it up for yourself because you've formed certain habits, but because you like that people see you as an independent person. You like the fact that people see you as a go-getter who is responsible for their own destiny. Um, And until you change that to be, you know, I want my friends or I want the people who I care about to see me as somebody who can be vulnerable and who can open up then you're going to have a hard time opening up in relationships. It is only a bad thing if it gets in the way of getting you what you want. And it seems to me like you want to be in a relationship. So you might want to practice opening up and being vulnerable because as great as it is that you have, uh, have all the confidence and have found success being uh, an independent person, there's also something to be said for letting people in. What about you,
1: Trisha? I think what's interesting to me in this particular letter is that the issue is in reconciling the letter writer's own image of their self as a strong person and the soft kind of person that they become when they're in love or when they're dating somebody new. Mm. And I think it's very well, I don't want to use the word normal because what's normal anyway? But I think it's pretty common for people to become softies when they're in love or when they're dating someone. It doesn't matter how strong you think you are because you're starting to care for someone else. You're naturally going to be a little, quote unquote, softer because you care for someone. But being strong and being soft with somebody you're in a relationship with, that's not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think the fact that you're an incredibly independent and self reliant, self-sustaining kind of person that is a really good sign that you can care for others because an empty cup cannot provide. So the fact that you can provide for yourself perfectly well means that you probably have the energy and the space to care for others. So look at it as a strength that because you're a fully realized person that you can support others.
0: I also think that, you know, opening up yourself yourself up to other people makes you stronger. Because it takes strength to be vulnerable.
1: Yes, and strength in numbers because Mm. one person should not and cannot handle everything. There you go. That is impossible.
0: Thank you for sending us that letter. If you'd like to send us your anonymous questions or confessions, you can submit through our opening up form. And now, back to the discussion. If you like what you hear and you want to support your beloved sexual delinquents, you can send us money like the whores we are. For less than the price of one cup of a bougie coffee per month, you can keep your favorite sex podcast up and running for many episodes to come. It comes with a lot of goodies, like extra content, special shoutouts, and exclusive access to a VIP customer channel on Discord. You can even suggest an episode. It helps us out a lot, and we really appreciate it. You can donate now at ko nowopenph. That's ko-fi.com slash nowopenph. And now, back to the show. We've talked about sort of more traditional families. We've talked about our moms and our dads, because that's what you and I have. But... Really, what consists of a family? What makes a family? If you ask Vin Diesel, it's just a bunch of cars and a few zany adventures. That's what makes a family. If you ask a 20-something, it's the people that they hang out with like six days a week, (laughs) right? Uh, There there are different points in time where family means different things to different people. So non-traditional families are everywhere. Non-traditional families are becoming more common in the Philippines, and we see this (laughs) in same-sex parents with children. Do you know anybody who was raised by same-sex parents?
1: Raised by, no, but I currently know a couple of same-sex parents.
0: Okay, cool. Um, Single-parent families. I see that happening a lot.
1: That's extremely common.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, adoptive families. But, you know, what's different now is the stigma around being a single parent is changing also. Whereas before it was frowned upon maybe half a decade ago, even 20 years ago, super, super frowned upon. Now we see single parents as being strong. Now we see single parents as being heroes, especially if they're doing a good job. (laughs) Adoptive families also.
1: Actually, I also want to say about single parent families is that recently because of COVID, a lot of people have also, recently become single parents. Yes. So, you know, we're also seeing an increase in non traditional setups because of wide scale grief. Oh, sorry yeah. for that. Suddenly, COVID depressing is taking term. a lot of
0: parents. Yeah. Um, couples with no children, that is also becoming increasingly common. A lot of my friends are deciding to go childless. Thank you very much. I would like to think
1: of me and my, my partner as a family, even though we have no children except for yeah. our two beautiful kitties.
0: Yeah. Why doesn't two people make a family? Why why don't two people make a family? And then there's, of course, your chosen family. And what makes a family? Uh, you often hear, blood is thicker than water and blah, 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 blah. Uh, your friends are going to let you down, but family, family is forever. And I just don't find any of these adages to be true, right? I think family are the people you choose to keep in your life that, for better or for worse, make you you, right? And it's, yeah. your, it's that choice that you make, whether or not you decide to keep those people in your life. I think that's what makes people family because here's the, the, most, the weirdest thing is that Filipinos are super familial, but they'll also talk the most shit about their family. You know what I mean? Like there's no more toxic pit of snakes with regards to your family's reputation than your own freaking family. So the idea of what a family is, is more malleable now than it ever has been. What do you want your family to look like, Tricia?
1: Well, by virtue of being a queer person, I think my family already is going to look nothing like the traditional Filipino family in the sense that we both have vaginas and cats everywhere uh, and no children, Mm -hmm. not just because I, we can't have any together, but because I don't want any, I think my family is going to be ever changing. I, I can see that, you know, people dropping in and out depending on when, because I just want my family to be open. I want it. I want it to be people that support and love each other. I want it to be people who talk instead of relying on gender rules and gender expectations to determine who does what in a relationship and I yeah, I just want it to be open as hell in every definition of the word
0: <laughs> uh, one of the many lessons that I've learned from having a kid is that expectations they mean nothing expectations you you can start there. It's a good starting point, but it has zero bearing. on Life laughs at your plans. Life laughs haughtily at your plans. Uh, so I, I don't want my family to look like anything. I just want my family to be happy. I want them to be good people, right? I'm not, I'm not imposing any expectations on what I want it to be anymore. I'm just trying to play, play it by ear. And I'm trying to be a, what was that? Generative dad. I'm just going to be a try to be as generative a dad as I can be now that I've learned what that is and what I have to do to be one. Yeah.
1: And like, we talk about non-traditional families because when we talk about gender rules, a lot of these gender rules are already expected when you're in a heterosexual relationship, Mm -hmm. the dad provides, the mom is more caring, um, the dad's more authoritarian, the mom is more progressive, like all these expectations and even the fact that there's only like four ways to be a dad, like, right. you know, archetypal, all, ways. Our, our archetypal ways, like because men naturally fall into four categories or fathers tend to fall into these categories rather than being open to all the possibilities. I mean, like, mm-hmm. let, don't be open to some of those archetypes, but <laughs> <laughs> but more like, you know, the idea of like being open to yeah, what roles you can play. And not having those expectations set in stone because families are ever-changing. One day mm-hmm. you might be a traditional family and the next day you might not be because of circumstances beyond your control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you have a non-traditional family or even if you have a traditional family setup, it's completely up to you to decide what kind of gender roles you want in your family through open communication. Don't expect, don't assume, talk about it.
0: It's interesting because what is the, what, what is the place of... S- you know, so-called gender roles in a world where families are becoming increasingly non-traditional. You know, we just mentioned same-sex parents, single-parent families, adoptive families, couples with no children, chosen family. These are family dynamics that do not fall under traditional gender roles. So, I mean, how important is it to still have (laughs) traditional gender roles now?
1: (laughs) I think the really whole point of gender roles or why it even existed is because, yeah, people naturally fall into certain roles, depending on what society tells them that they're allowed to do. At first, it started off as like a biological situation, like, oh, women are the ones who get pregnant. Therefore, they have to be the ones to care for the child because it's necessary. And then these get codified in society. So the gender roles that we have are basically just a reflection of how society expects you to like act because of all these scripts that we've been following for thousands of years. But now the script is rapidly, rapidly changing.
0: And Okay. So with, without a script, given that there is no script, we know that there are roles. Let's remove the gender from it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's say hypothetically speaking, I know you don't want like to start a, a family with kids with, with your partner, but let's say that you, you did. How would you go about dividing roles? Now the gender has been excluded.
1: Well, unlike movies or mm-hmm. television shows that have a script this mm-hmm. is kind of more like your mumblecore film where
0: <laughs> it's a judd apatow directed feature it's a judd
1: apatow yeah this is more like imagine if judd apatow directed your relationship where
0: he pretty much you done. kind of <laughs> <laughs> i'm living the plot of knocked up <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>
1: Congratulations, you are a leading man. Uh, Thank you, I'm
0: Seth Rogen. (laughs) Not
1: a bad person to be. But yeah, basically the idea is that even though you have an outline, you know, there are financial responsibilities, there are caretaking responsibilities, maybe you'll get a house, education, things like that. There's an outline but it's up to you to decide who takes on which speaking parts, who does which actions, et cetera. So it's improv, it's a collaboration. It's not decided on by some other person who wrote the script for you. It's your own and it's tough. Like in the same way that writing your own movie script is tough, it's really tough to write your own script for your relationships and create your own gender roles. It's extra work. And I think that's why a lot of people fall into gender roles because they don't have to talk about it. They don't have to have that uncomfortable conversation about- There's a template. Yeah, like no more fighting about who does the dishes because you do it because you have a vagina. (laughs) There's, There's no conversations anymore, you can just fall into it naturally, but- You have to kill you- all the
0: cockroaches by virtue of the fact that you have a penis. Like, I hate that. I
1: hate <laughs> see, that. my partner and I had to discuss that because no one has a penis. So we had to figure out who has the penis in regards to the cockroach.
0: <laughs> you have the cockroach penis. No, you have the cockroach
1: penis. But see, even the fact that we're talking about, like you take the lead on this as like, you have the penis. We're still reinforcing those gender roles, right? <laughs> right,
0: right, right. See, you are still
1: sticking to that script, but in this case, you, know, you take care of the cockroaches. Mm-hmm. You can vagina slap the cockroach. No, don't vagina slap <laughs> the cockroaches. That's disgusting. Lay me a clap that ship. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's way worse than having to do it with a penis.
0: <laughs> well, I think that wraps up our discussion on, um, gender roles in the Filipino family. Uh, I'm so li- I'm so glad we got to talk about this because it's, it's for me, fairly cathartic to talk about. And I, I would assume cathartic to listen to for anybody who has experienced these family dynamics in their lives. And since the majority of our listeners are from the Philippines, I'm guessing most of you have, I'm hoping that a lot of you guys were able to recognize your family members and hope hopefully a little bit of yourselves in tonight's episode so that you can better position yourselves in your relationships moving on in the future.
1: That's beautiful. Uh, My takeaway from tonight's episode is that therapy is free when you have a podcast.
0: That's true. Um, So is porn.
1: (laughs) Second takeaway from tonight is that families are changing. Our definition of families are changing. And that can only be a good thing because our past definitions of what mothers and fathers and families can be were extremely restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, they really forced people into certain roles, whether or not they actually wanted to take on those roles. As you mentioned with your mom, um, having to take on a more um, forgiving role because you were living with your dad. So like you're forced to take on certain roles when you can just be the parent that you want to be, you know, whatever that is, regardless. And I hope that you uh, take a moment to think about this episode, reflect on your own family dynamics and see how that's affecting the families that you're creating now, the kind of expectations that you're creating in your own networks. Um, And as many people have said over the years, don't let your hurt child make your adult decisions. So I think it's very important to look at your family and see what kind of relationships and communication styles they've modeled for you and expectations and roles so that you can be better and not bring your baggage onto the next generation.
0: (laughs) Very well said. Right. Okay. Personal social promotion. I am on Twitter. Uh, I post weird things at like four in the morning. I know that Trisha saw this one thing where I was like Gmail Nanjiani. I was laughing for like <laughs> a solid three minutes. Man, when I thought of that tweet, I was like, this is going to blow up so hard. This is going to go viral. This is gonna, I want to wake up. There's going to be like a million likes on this thing. I woke up and there was like four likes, Gmail, Nanjiani. And I, this is a stupid, stupid ass tweet. Anyway, I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter at Jobimism, that's J-O-B-I-M-I-S-M. And I'm also on uh, Instagram. If you want to see what the rest of my life is like, it's, it's just as horrible as the rest of me. Uh, it's at Jobim Javier, J-O-B-I-M-J-A-V-I-E-R.
1: Great. And I am at Trisha O'Bannon
0: on Twitter. Okie okay, dokie. Okay. Now you can uh, stay updated with Now Open by following us on Facebook and Twitter at Now OpenPH. Our past episodes are also available on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our coffee page at wwwco feedcom slash Now Open PH to get bonus content and other special perks such as a 50% discount on merch we are releasing very soon. The merch looks dope. Take my word for it. And I if have you, it in uh, my
1: apartment. We just need to figure some stuff out. It's happening. It's moving. I promise.
0: <laughs> they look amazing. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, we'll be migrating over to Now Open's uh, Gather Town after the end of the show. Join us at bit.ly slash Uh, to chill with the crew and other customers. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy seeing my little avatar dance. Uh, You can go up and and sing. If you have a guitar at home, there's a a stage. Come hang out with us. Next episode, next week, the history of mistresses and mastresses featuring one of our all-time favorite guests, Sab Schnabel. Uh, See you when we next open.